Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. Today, we want to explore the patient's perspective on prostate cancer, sexual implications, and long-term relationships. We've covered just how common prostate cancer is for men. And in this episode, we're going to cover topics that are going to be relevant not only to people with prostate cancer, but also for any man who has struggled with elements of sexual dysfunction and being able to talk about that in a long-term relationship. Today, we are joined by Mr. Reggie Dye, who is a survivor of prostate cancer, and he'll be sharing some of his experience and insights with us. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mark. Appreciate the opportunity to help as many people as I can. Reggie, can you share with us any relevant background information about yourself that's going to help our listeners kind of shape a little bit of the experience that you have gone through? Sure, sure. Well, I'll kind of keep it brief here, but just to give us enough background still. Um, obviously, an African-American male in my 50s, and I was diagnosed with prostate cancer about six years ago. And um, it's kind of, it really came as a surprise, I guess kind of a surprise. I'm a guy who has been in great shape all his life, um, still now, stay fit, exercise well, and not really wanting to go to the doctor. And I hadn't been to the doctor probably double digit years. And um, what prompted me to do so was my company was having a a promotion uh, one year to where, hey, you know, go take some blood tests and get checked out. Um, There's some uh, deduction on your premium the following year. So something told me to, let me go ahead and do this. Um, Let me go see what's going on. It's been a long time. So I went and took a blood test and everything was pretty normal as I would expect, but my PSA was elevated a little bit. It was probably, I guess, a, I guess a little, if I recall, it was like maybe 4.1 or something like that. So um, as a result, it was recommended that I go talk to the doctor, get tested again, and explore this a little further. So to make a long story short, a few months later, went to the doctor, got diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. And my father had had prostate cancer years before. And so, you know, I know that it's kind of common or more common in in black men, but it's still kind of surprising just given what what I consider to be, you know, pretty healthy lifestyle. Uh, I've been married at that point for probably 22 years and um, a great sexual relationship. And uh, that's one of the first things that popped in my head is, well, geez, I'm too young to not be able to be sexually active anymore. And my wife is too beautiful to be <laughs> neglected by me. So, you know, what, what options do we have here? So okay. that's, how, that's yeah. how it came to me originally. That's how I came upon the fact that I had prostate cancer. Yeah. So, so you're saying probably in, in, in more than 10 years, you hadn't been to a doctor. Right. And there was an incentive program at work. And then one thing led to another with an elevated PSA and led to this diagnosis of prostate cancer. Now you're mentioning that at the time of the diagnosis, you had been married for 22, 22 years. Is that correct? Correct. 
Okay. And, and generally speaking, you're saying a pretty good uh, relationship with your wife and an intimate relationship. And that was one of the first things that flashed through your mind upon hearing this diagnosis. Yeah. The the first thing (laughs) that popped in my head. (laughs) Yeah. How, how did you make that immediate association between the prostate and sexual function? Was that something that you were aware of prior to, or was that one of the first things that was mentioned um, upon diagnosis? Guess what? It popped in my head because you know, I've heard of prostate cancer. I've known some folks who've had it, including my father you know, from years earlier. He's still alive and well today, fortunately. But just having heard some of the treatments for prostate cancer in the past, including removal, I just knew there was a connection um, with prostate cancer, trying to solve it and decrease sexual function. So that's that's why it popped in my head, just based on what I had knew, heard, et cetera, um, just being around. Okay, you're saying that was one of the one of the probably the most immediate thought or immediate concern <laughs> upon upon hearing about this diagnosis. Um, now, from the time that you um, discovered this elevated PSA until the diagnosis and treatment, can you can you give our listeners a little bit of a timeline of how things unfolded? Sure. So this is probably, I guess, October, November of 2016 when I first had the, the blood test results. It was probably February before I went to see a doctor. So still, even with the results, I was still procrastinating. It was probably February or so before I went it took my, my primary care physician and had another blood test. At that time, it was, I think, 4.3, 4.4. He then referred me to a specialist, so it was a couple months after that. So it was probably six, seven months had passed from the time that I first had an indication to the time I was actually diagnosed and started to think about, okay, now what do I do? So now, you, now you're with a doctor, and uh, you need to discuss treatment Options now. I know that on a previous podcast that we uh, recorded with a, uh, a uro oncologist discussed the fact that not all prostate cancer actually ends up in treatment, uh, depending on uh, the type and if mm-hmm. it is um, spreading, uh, what the risks are. But I'm assuming that that was that was assessed and it was determined that some type of intervention uh, made sense in your case. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate in that we caught it relatively early. It was a small spot in a in a small area, had not spread anywhere, so it was contained. Um, and so, one of the options actually was for me to uh, I think it was called active surveillance. And let's just just see what let's just watch this and see where it goes. <laughs> like that's that's that. Yeah, I don't like that. Um, but there are other options discussed as well. But but doing nothing for a while was one of the things that was presented. Okay, so that, that was an option, which I know that yeah. some men are presented with that, where they want to take some time to to assess how rapidly is this thing growing, um, mm-hmm. and how quickly is intervention necessary. But right. you know, Reggie, what I'm gathering is that the idea of just letting it sit and seeing where it goes was not a comfortable option for you. No, not at all. Um, and I didn't know a whole lot about prostate cancer other than what I've already described, but I knew enough to know that I don't want to just wait. Let's just you know test again in six months, or you know let's watch this, see what happens. Because my concern was, okay, well by the time it gets more serious, will it be too late to do something about it? Um, 
So that was my concern, yes. Mm -hmm. So you, you were obviously leaning in the direction of some type of intervention. So in your situation, what were the options for treatment that were presented to you? I had, um, let's wait and see, um, a prostate removal. Um, I think chemotherapy of some sort, or, radi- or maybe it's radiation therapy. It's been a little while. And I tell you, after hearing, you know, having prostate removed, it's kind of like everything else, kind of like, oh, geez, it just kind of faded out. I didn't, don't know what the others were. Um, but the final one that was presented to me was after I had raised some questions and said, well, I don't really like those options, but I'm hearing, you know, what else can we do? And my doctor said, well, there is something called HIFU. We could try that. And so, and I had not heard of that before. Um, so I said, okay, well, what's that? So he explained it to me. It's relatively new in the United States. Had been done in Europe for years, but it was relatively new. I think probably the year before had been approved by the FDA here in our country. So, so he, get, he described it for me and gave me some information to go do some research on. And I came back and said, okay, let's try this. Uh, this sounds like the least, <laughs> the, the least um, intrusive uh, method. And my understanding also was that, okay, well, you can try this. If this doesn't work, then we can try, we can resort to something more radical versus starting off with something more radical, not being able to fall back. So let's try the easiest thing first. Okay. So you're saying you went with this treatment that's called HIFU. Can, can you just, I guess, briefly describe at least from from you know patient experience, what this treatment is like. The easiest, the way it was described to me that I think is 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 easy for people to get when I explain it to them is like you know when you're a little kid and you're taking a magnifying glass and you're holding it in the sun and you're burning a little hole on a leaf. That's what haifu really is. It's really it's it's um, I should know the 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 uh, abbreviation high intensity focused ultrasound I think is what it's called but we can verify that but it's really just just focusing a, a high powered beam on the particular particular cancer's area and kind of burning that cancer the way you would burn a hole in the leaf with a magnifying glass when you're a kid that's probably the easiest way to explain it Okay. And, and you're saying part of the treatment consideration here was that there would be other options if this would not be effective or would not be delivering the type of results that you right. would be for to eliminate the cancer. Now, with this treatment that you chose, were the sexual implications a consideration or a factor in making a treatment choice? Oh, Absolutely. Yes, it definitely was. I mean, this is something that, as I did research and was described to me um, in talking to another patient who had it, this was something where, okay, it's it's non-invasive. Um, it doesn't sever any nerves. Um, there's nothing like that. So you should still be able to, to perform sexually um, after this procedure. So for me, it was probably about two or three months afterwards. But just knowing that there's a chance, there's some hope, and that this seemed to work for others for years, I wanted to try that because I wanted to impact my you know, sexual life as, as minimally as possible. Mm-hmm. So that's what the, one of the key drivers for me. And, and it was so important that at the time, HIFU was something that I had to pay for myself. It was not covered by insurance. I think, I think now Medicare is starting to cover it. There's a CPT code for it. Um, but at the time, it was $25,000 out of my pocket to do this. That's how important it was to me. 
Okay, and they think that, that, that the sexual function or the potential impact on sexual function was a big factor in uh, making that decision. And at the time, a substantial financial commitment Indeed. To, to that process. So, Reggie, you were in a long-term relationship at the time. You mentioned 22 years of marriage at the time. So how was it to discuss the sexual implications with your wife? And in particular, I, you had had this relationship up until now. Was this a topic that you were communicating about leading up to this um, you know, discovery of prostate cancer? You then had this window of a couple of months between diagnosis or between potential diagnosis and treatment, and then the post-treatment. So I'm wondering, what did that communication look like? Well, I'll tell you, I mean, my, my wife was great in that. And as we just talked about this, her main concern was my well-being and my health and being cured of cancer. My concern was, you know, the sexual side. Hers was more, hey, we'll worry about that later. Let's make sure you're well. But as you know, as we went through the treatment and also something I, I left out, part of, part of the preparation leading up to this treatment was taking some medication and preparing you for it. In my case, shrinking my prostate a little so the so the uh, the um, procedure would be more effective. And as part of that uh, process of preparing for the procedure, there's some hormones I had to take, some medication I had to take. Anyway, that impacted my sexual function. So we talked a little bit about it more then as I was getting ready. Um, but she was very understanding and was more focused on that. I was the one who was really more hung up on the the, the sexual impact than, than she was. As I had the procedure and started to recover and all, um, you know, she's her attitude was, hey, look, let's be patient. We'll wait. I don't want to rush you. You know, we'll we'll let this happen naturally. We'll just we'll just go along and just see how this works out. So it was it was really never, well, I'll put it this way. It wasn't as much of an expressed issue for her as it was for me. And when it came to the post-treatment, I understand that during, um, you know, from the point of diagnosis to treatment selection and whatnot, her focus was on your overall health. She wanted right. to or like she was in a supportive role and was not putting a heavy emphasis on the sexual implications and basically said, whatever it is, we're going to get through this together. Exactly. Exactly. A really nice, beautiful thing. At the same time, you're saying, yeah, I'm a little bit less concerned about surviving this thing. I'm concerned about quality of life, including quality of sex life, you know, post, uh, post treatment. Now yeah, that was, that was, that was me. That was, that was, that was mostly on me. Yes. Yeah. Now, once you got through the treatment, um, was there any adjustments that were required? Was there any communication necessary about shifting or changing anything in the sexual relationship, even if it was temporary, just trying to get things started back up or to make sure that things were working um, in a way that you wanted? Um, you know, I was I was pretty blessed with the smooth transition. I mean, for for us, we were just making I, you know, I had obviously post-procedure checkups and all, just making sure that I was recovering on track, which I was fortunate enough to heal as I was in great shape. So I, I bounced back pretty quickly. Um so she just wanted to make sure, we just wanted to make sure I was recovering on track. And as I was, it's probably like two two months later to where I felt, okay, let's let's try this. And so she was just being patient. So there's really not a whole lot of adjustment we need to make. We needed to try to make other than just waiting to uh, my physician thought I was healing well and I had the ability to, to, to obtain and maintain an erection. 
and we're back to normal. Can't take take it a little easy initially, but after everything worked, yeah, it's back to normal. Fortunately, so one of the most common, um, you know, concerns or issues that we see develop um, post some type of medical intervention is performance anxiety where men are worrying leading up to um, an intervention for prostate cancer or, you know, other procedures. And they've already kind of worked themselves into an anxiety about what if things don't work or what if things don't go well uh, with regard to sexual function. Did you have any of that angst or anxiety or worry kind of building up inside of you? Um, I can't. As I think back, I don't recall being anxious about it because I guess maybe the one of the reasons is that you know after I got the catheter out and was recovering and all, um, I could tell that I could achieve an erection before I started having sex again. So that gave me some confidence that okay, you know things seem to be working, the plumbing's working okay, even though I'm not going to get involved in the act just yet, I can feel things working. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, so had that not been the case, I may have been more concerned. And then when it, then when the time came for us to try to resume our, our, you know, marital relations there, fortunately there was not a problem. So I don't, I didn't get myself worked up or anxious about it beforehand. It sounds like you were very fortunate that um, you were able to assess prior to engaging a partner sexual activity that the internal plumbing um, involved in, in, in facilitating that erection, like all seemed to be working. Um, and I'm sure that was a sigh of relief, um, when those natural erections did return. Um, and you're saying that kind of helped boost your confidence and, and perhaps made it not overly necessary to, you know, have, you know, conversations about any adjustment or changes. I'm assuming that once partnered sexual activity was able to resume things largely went smoothly from there. Is that correct? They, they did, yes. And I'm very blessed in that regard, yes. Okay. Now, you know, many people talk about uh, these, you know, life events or life-changing events like a cancer diagnosis and the impact that it can have on the relationship. Now, I recognize it could be both a negative or a positive on the relationship. It sounds like your wife was very supportive and making sure that, that you know, your health was, was front and center um, and really wanted to make sure that you got the kind of treatment that you needed. Did this change your relationship in any way for the good or for the bad, or did it stay kind of neutral? I don't think it stayed kind of neutral. I mean, we've been together for 22 years, very much in love. I mean, we're still together today, about 27 years. Um, I mean, knowing her as long as I have and the way as much as I do. Her her reaction was really what I expected from her. I mean, I'm the one who was more wound up on uh, concerned about the other things. Her response and reactions what I would expect from her, and she was more comforting to me um, versus adding adding more on me with concerns or expectations about sex. Okay, so you're saying that it didn't really, uh, there certainly was no negative impact as a result of going through this. The relationship kind of stayed neutral, like throughout that process. In any way, did it bring you closer? Um, yeah, well, yeah, I guess, I would, I, yeah, I think that's probably a better way to describe it than just saying it was neutral. I mean, and the reason why I say it was neutral because we had a very strong relationship already. But I, w- I guess I would say, as I think back on this, 
that going through this together, supporting each other, um, really her more supporting me, probably just made us a little even closer than we already were. Okay, which I think is an experience that many people have. And sometimes, again, the, the impact is is negative, uh, but oftentimes people can actually strengthen elements of their relationship. And Reggie, like you're saying, sometimes it's really hard to tell if you're going into the situation with a pretty strong relationship intact and not, you know, it sounds like the treatment that you chose really did not have a lot of sexual side effects, which kind of you know, helped you to breathe a sigh of relief and help yeah. things stay on a positive track. So even though elements of the relationship probably strengthened the two, you probably got a little bit closer as a result. You were starting with a pretty strong foundation and base going into all of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So Roger, to, to, to wrap up, I mean, I think you're, the experience that you shared is so you know valuable on so many levels. Um, I, I think there's a lot more to talk about uh, generally about you know, not getting those earlier screenings and not going for the medical stuff. A lot of men, you know, in particular, but people in general um, really don't want to go see the doctor. They're generally healthy. Um, and, and for the most part, I think that's true. I don't think people need to live under some kind of constant state of fear, but at the same time, things do happen uh, that are beyond the control of, of, you know, even a very healthy people, um, and I think that there's, you know, a lot more to talk about in that realm, but it sounds like, again, um, once you got tested in the process all the way through went pretty smoothly for you. I think the other, you know, highlight here is just how prominent the sexual concerns were for you going into the prostate cancer diagnosis and treatment. Um, and that really was like a lead concern mm. like for you. And I think a lot of men are, uh, concerned about and fixated and preoccupied on that, you know, I imagine it's very relieving uh, for them to hear uh, what your process was like. And I would assume that you are fully in remission. Is that correct? Yes, I, um, I've, I've, I've gotten to the point where I was tested quarterly, my PSA, um, then half, every six months, and then now every year. And so I've been great holding steady for the last three years or so of my uh, PSA level. So I'm happy to, to talk, happy to say that. Um, but but the, going back to the point you made about, you know, men not wanting to, or, or not necessarily not wanting to, but just not top of mind for them to get checked out and all that. You know, I, I have been you know, preaching the gospel, so to speak, to friend, friends, family um, ever since this. And I, what my best friend from college happened to have have uh, prostate cancer a couple of years ago. And so I talked to him about this procedure and he's, he's had this procedure since but my same doctor and has had a great outcome as well. Another gentleman whose mom read an article in a magazine that uh, I did an interview for, she called him up, told him about it. He found me on LinkedIn and then we got in contact and I was able to talk him through and, um, he had the procedure and had a great outcome as well. And, uh, you know, both these guys had similar concerns, both of the black men having similar concerns as I did about sexual function and all that. And, and so we're relieved to understand that, hey, this is an option for you that, that could still allow you to not have any issues in that, in that realm um, versus some other options that may be av available for you out there. So they both started with this and have both been pleased with the outcome so far, but they went into the same, same way I did very concerned about, okay, was this going to 
what's this going to mean for me? Yeah, and that, 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 that I think is a tremendous factor because um, that seems to be one of the primary concerns when it comes to uh, treatment of or management of prostate cancer. And it sounds like this treatment, which was effective for you and effective for a number of other gentlemen, uh, really comes with, uh, it sounds like minimal right, to no concerns on the sexual function front, largely because I think it leaves the prostate intact and doesn't um, you know, touch on the, you know, on the parts that do impact uh, sexual function. So Reggie, if I had to ask like, you know, for a piece of advice for, for our listeners um, who, again, may be you know, grappling with um, an elevated PSA or prostate cancer, or maybe just in a long-term relationship, facing the possibility of, or some kind of sexual dysfunction. If I had to ask you for just some advice, as a, a person who's been in a long-term relationship for now, sounds like about 27 years, is that yeah. largely <laughs> accurate? About 27 years. Um, what would you want to tell our listeners? Well, I, I guess the first thing I would say is um, don't take your health for granted. I, I did. And like I said, I hadn't been to see a doctor in double digit years. It's probably, I, I have to figure it out, but it's been a long, long time. Take my health for granted. So don't take your health for granted. And I guess part of it also is don't be afraid to learn about this particular diagnosis. I mean, don't hold off thinking, oh, well, gosh, this runs my family. I don't want to know. Go find out. The earlier that you find out, the more options are available for you. If you wait until it's too late, you're going to be left with options that are going to impact your sex. Well, I'm not a doctor, so I can't say that, or more likely to impact your sexual functions. So don't be afraid. Catch it early. There are treatment available, treatment options available for you now that were not available back, you know, 30 years ago. My father had his situation. So there's hope for you. So don't be afraid to, to seek out options. Okay, that's a really, really powerful message. So just want to remind all of our listeners, um, as we're going to wrap up this, this uh, segment, that uh, there are a bunch of treatment options out there for prostate cancer. It's important to you know, consult with your doctor if uh, you do have an elevated P uh, PSA or if you uh, do have a bona fide diagnosis of prostate cancer. It's important to speak up and express your concerns to really talk through what your options are and to make sure that uh, your doctor knows, you know, what is important to you, what your values are and what you are trying to, um, how you're trying to ensure best outcomes, uh, not just for your physical health, but also for your relational and emotional uh, overall well-being. So again, Reggie, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this is going to be a really impactful message to get out there to our listeners. And we're going to try to get this episode out as soon as we can. No, sounds good. Hope it helps and touch someone's lives and helps make a difference in their life and their partners. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.